You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Episode 6. It's our first council strategy session. We also have Dr. Justin Harlow on the pod. Alright, so welcome to episode 6. Tonight was our first strategy session meeting. So what that means is in the past these have been called dinner briefings. It's the first Monday of every month. Because the first Monday fell right around New Year's in January, we actually hadn't had one of these yet. So two months into council, and for not only the new members, but for the returning members, we're all seeing what this new um, idea of Mayor Lyles in terms of a strategy session meeting looked like. And it went for, what, three and a half hours tonight? Mm-hmm. Strategery. We, we covered a lot of strategy. We covered a lot of topics that, um, that we want to dig into in committees. Uh, we had a chance to put some ideas out on the table, which was something I think a lot of us were looking for, was an, a venue to do that. What was your takeaway from so, the So, so j- just for historical purposes, just to level set everyone, nothing like this has ever existed before tonight in Charlotte City Council as far as we know, right? No, I mean, the, the purpose of the first Monday meeting in the past, as, as I understand it and, and witnessed it uh, at times, was more about being briefed on things, maybe more of conveying information to the council. This is more the council kind of having a dialogue amongst the 11 of us and the mayor of what what are our priorities? How do we lay those out? And then where do we send them to get some actual work done? Because as Mayor Lyles pointed out tonight, some things have been languishing in committee for four years. And it actually kind of rang a bell because you hear about in Raleigh or in Washington, how people, if there's a bill they don't want to see the light of day, they send it to certain committees and let it die there. So maybe that was happening here too. Maybe it wasn't unintentional, but this is her thing. I think let's get these things all back out on the table, talk about the ones that are priorities to us, send them back to committee and actually get something done on them. Well, it's so crazy because in so many different topics and all you need to do is go back and listen to the last five podcasts for examples of this throughout, throughout the last two months, which is where we're, we're talking past each other, where people are just not understanding. It literally took three quarters of the meeting tonight until a small light bulb went off in my head and I, I understood what this was. I understood what the meeting we were in, which was essentially things are, to your point, you know, dying, languishing in, in committees for years. This is about speci- having a forum by which to talk about them, but then specifically listing, okay, this is the deliverable, this is the timeline, and this is ultimately what council as part of this committees needs to do, and then what staff needs to do. And I, I mean, to me, it, it made total sense. And the example that came up, which was, well, hang on a sec, you know, where, and I still have a problem with this, by the way, in the list and things that got weeded out. There's big items like stormwater backlog projects, and where did that go? And, you know, I, I agree that that needs to be first and foremost on our mind, but we do have to specifically say, because there was even confusion. Well, what was the action? What was staff expecting us to do? Because we have a real big problem, as we've talked about in the past, with stormwater. So I, I guess I am optimistic, and and I thought that it was just going to be a free-for-all. But I can see using some of these tools and maybe with a few tweaks, this can be a powerful tool uh, each first Monday of each month. I think it'll be less of a free-for-all next time because I think now yes. we all leave with a better understanding of the objective totally of this agree. meeting. I think one of the objectives of... of Mayor Lyles and kind of overarching idea here is is a powerful one, and that is that in the past, according to these, somewhat anecdotal because it's just spe- specifically right now, the things that had been left in committee by the last council, 
about two-thirds of them were deemed, well, more than half of them were deemed to be kind of informational only, where they were really just receiving info updates and briefings. Um, and as I see it, she's looking to transition our committee work into being more action-oriented and yeah. outcome-oriented. And I'm all for that. And I it think makes sense. Everybody and I'm is. And I'm for it. Because we're here to get stuff done. It is cool that as part of this job, we get to come in and learn a lot about government and learn a lot about our community. But we're here for action. We're here to actually achieve things. And so if ha- more than half of the committee work is just us learning, that's that's good, but it's not nearly as good as actually having outcomes and deliverables and things that we can measure and achieve and, and kind of grade ourselves by. So, And, and the, a, another beautiful point to me that I just really loved was not only did we get to look at this laundry list of items and kind of see what was going to be sent back to committee and not kind of refresh, but also we got to have a session where we could bring up anything we want to put in this kind of little parking lot that the city manager and others can help analyze and bring back. I got to bring up four things just that I had been thinking about for a while. One was for a minority and women-owned businesses, the concept of adding veterans into that for for consideration. Another one was adding cybersecurity to our public uh, safety committee, um, doing a complete analysis and sending to our transportation and planning committee um, all of our traffic and congestion and looking at volume to capacity and doing basic things like the timing of street lights and, uh, and, and left turns. And then finally, the concept, my favorite, of an innovation lab in the city for smaller ideas that need some vetting where maybe a couple uh, city staffers are tapped to kind of come in there and work cross-division, cross-silos to come and take a few ideas we route to them and see, like, you know, how, how, how might we be able to do something interesting there. So I, I really love that opportunity. Yeah, one of the things I put out, um, it actually dawned on me a couple weeks ago, we were looking at an aerial photograph of something, and... I was looking at the roofs of some of these commercial buildings and it occurred to me that as part of our tree canopy initiatives and as part of our um, tree save initiatives with development, Mm -hmm. maybe we incorporate something in about green roofs and living roofs because part of what we're trying, the objective with our trees is trying to help in terms of erosion control and and stormwater um, quality. So if we can, if we can mitigate some of the runoff from the roofs of these buildings as we have storms, that can help towards that end. And so, again, just it, to your point, it was an opportunity for us to put anything on the table and say, let's let's look into this a little and see if there's something to it. So we got a special friend of the pod coming up here. We do. The new District 2 representative, Dr. Justin the Harlow, Dr. Is, is going to be joining us to talk about some of the more specific issues that we dug into uh, this evening. And so we'll, we'll reserve the rest of the time for our, our distinguished colleague, Dr. Justin Harlow. I can't wait. We're bringing him on right after the break. What does City Council do, Chase? Um, it's a group of people that work together and solve the problem and sure enough can win. Oh, wait, problem, whoa, whoa, wait. What are the problems? Um, I was going to tell them that. Oh, tell them. It's crimes in mines and roads and taxes. So it's crimes, roads, taxes, and mines? Yeah. We have a mine problem here in Charlotte? Yeah. Good to know. We'll be t- say, tell the folks. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the show. We have a very special guest to the podcast. One of our new fellow new council members, Mister. I'm sorry, Doctor. Doctor Justin Harlow. Get it right, man. I got it right. I got it right, Doc. 
the Dr. new representative oh, for oh, District oh. Two. So welcome to R and D in the QC, Justin. Your first time on. What's up, Glad Doc? to have you here. Hey man, I'm I'm doing pretty good, man. This is uh this is a great setup you guys got going in here. I appreciate the invite. Um, glad to be a part of the show today. Well, we are super pumped to have you. Where, where should we start with the good doctor? Well, I think. Dr. Harlow had brought up a couple of good points in our meeting today, so I think we can dig into some of the small business incentives and, and some of the housing discussion we had. We'll let uh, Dealer's Choice, you, you pick which one you want to start with first. Under the guise of this is a brand new type of meeting we had tonight, obviously. I know you had some specific points. What, what, what jumps top, top of mind? Yeah, I love the concept of, of this new kind of strategy session meeting. It's really about you know throwing some darts at the wall, but still figuring out some deliverables around just some of the, the bigger ideas that all of us have. Um, and so for me, you know, when it comes to economic development, I do have the, the good fortune of being on the, the committee. And as we're looking at how we administer our incentives for corporations, I think tonight we, we noticed that we, we're going to have some type of targeted discussion later in the committee around how can we make our incentive program better. But I think it just talked too much about the larger corporations that are creating the hundreds and the thousands of jobs that we're, that we're partnering with the state with giving incentives for it. And we haven't focused enough on the small businesses that are in our community. Um, the ones that are already existing, right? Not even new ones we're trying to woo, right? Well, exactly. Either or. Exactly. I think, you know, we... It's not mutually exclu exclusive, Larkin. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? That's one of my favorite phrases. That's what that's the joke he's trying the to The doctor's make. speaking right now. I think when we're tackling this upward mobility problem, which any conversation we're going to have, we can we can factor that in. I know we'll get to the interconnectivity of all these things a little later, is that, you know, we I believe we really have to invest a little bit more in our small business owners. How do we help small business entrepreneurs build more capacity to help generate more cash flow and eventually hire more people? Um, I think that's how we can do better of locally sourcing our jobs here. Um, I, I'm looking at you know some of the programs we already have, like the facade grant improvement, uh, facade improvement grant, and the the business matching grant, and th those are good programs. I think the the concept around them are great. You know, if you do twenty thousand dollars of improvements for your building, we'll match you twenty thousand dollars to help you do more, and that can maybe help you generate more revenue or or bring more people into your your business for your service. However, I'm not sure we've we've got enough or good data on the utilization of it. And so I brought that up tonight around, you know, charging staff with saying, how many people are actually using this programs, th mm. these programs that we do have? And it's my assumption that there's probably not that many. And so we need to really do an inward look and say, what can we do to make these programs better? Are they the right programs? And if not, uh, how can we change that and to make it a little more friendlier to the community that we want to use it? I'm a big proponent of what you're talking about, which is trying to to dial in more to the local businesses as much as possible. There's always going to be a place for the for the big the big corporations moving a headquarters here, opening a second location here. But um, but we know that local businesses more of their dollars stay in our community. We know that the local businesses are probably less likely to pack up and leave us like a Chiquita did, um, and that they're also more likely to probably hire people locally, residents that are already here and looking for for better opportunities. So. I think that's a great way that we can focus those dollars uh, where the opportunities arise. Just a specific follow-up to that, Justin. So um, as we heard our mayor, and, and I think you and I had the light bulb go off at the same moment today, where we were like, oh, I get kind of right. what this yeah. is supposed to be about. <laughs> uh, and I'm still figuring out. But so with the ask of what she's basically having us do, which is whether it's an existing item that's been in committee for a while, or to your point in this idea you raised today, small businesses more focused there as it relates to ED and things, being specific about the ultimate objective and deliverable 
So, I mean, you've said a, a thing that I think we're all behind. You know, have you started putting more thought into what is that specific kind of deliverable and ultimate outcome we're looking for if a committee ultimately gets this referred to it for small businesses? You know, ha- have you started framing that in your mind? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, what I've heard out, out in the community, and I'll, and I'll use, um, you know, chicken and ribs on Beatty's Fort Road. If you ever, if you haven't gone there, definitely. Larkin, I'm not sure. I've been there. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. I've got a story about it later. So, <laughs> So, you know, you, you can you can sit in there, you can you can be in the barbershop somewhere and, and having a conversation with some of these these smaller business owners and they say, Hey, you know, I wanna I wanna do something as it relates to, you know, fixing my outdoor seating or something like that. Um, and they'll make the overarching assumption, oh well, we know you guys are gonna give some money to the Panthers or we know you give incentive money to some large corporation, you know, Wells Fargo Bank of America to, to expand here or whatnot. We know that you had planned to give something to Amazon had they chose to come here. You know, but what about what about me? You know, I'm here every day serving folks who just live right here in this neighborhood. Yes, I'm not creating thousands of jobs, but but I, I, I'm still contributing to this to this community's fabric. And, you know, the argument is, yeah, what, what about you? I'm, I'm not sure what we are doing for you. And so I, I think that, you know, looking at, and then when you have the conversation, say, well, you know about our facade improvement grants, you know about our, our, our matching grants for our businesses. And a lot of the conversations will be, especially for small businesses, is, well, I don't have that type of cash flow to match $50,000 and match. And so I think we've got to get a little, and maybe that's why the utilization may not be as high. And so we've got to be a little more creative and say, okay, maybe let's look at, um, so to your question about have I have I looked at this beyond what a deliverable looks like, maybe look and saying, okay, well, what have you invested in this business? Can you prove it? Do you have the receipts to show it? And we will match that even, you know, up to, you know, five years ago or something. So that way we're not, you know, we're not creating a cash flow issue for a small business saying, hey, you, we not, we're not going to give you any city dollars until you match this dollar for dollar. But maybe we can say, well, you've done this in the past and we will match that and then we'll give you a, a three to five year note or something like that to to pay it back and if you don't then we'll we'll get that we will we'll, we'll have to tack on it, some, some is form. it all dollars based in your mind or are there other things that maybe are good and we can really put a lot of focus and help that maybe aren't just all dollars or grants well it's not just dollars based i mean the reality is that we you know the ultimate goal is we don't want anyone to have to come to the city to ask for anything um and so you know from from you'll love this this is your demand side right how do we help those we businesses how, how do we not just look at the dollar amount and how do we help those businesses you know create more jobs, maybe expand or something like Cut that. Cut some but, red tape. But right, yeah, how, how do we make the them more efficient? Point, and so right? yeah. I think tying those dollars to some forms of financial literacy programs or looking at some of the community banks in the in the area and saying, hey, let's uh, let's look at you. We're going to give you these dollars. And every once a week, you sit in this three-hour course to teach you a little more around about business operations. And we can make those partnerships with you know, the business school with Wake Forest uptown um, or with Queens University that has their MBA program, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. All right, before we transition to housing, I have to tell my original chicken and ribs story. Oh, now. come on, man. <laughs> Make this really quick. Oh, but it's good. It's good. <laughs> so, Justin, not to help me with the with the cross street, but it's on Beatty's Ford Road. Beatty's at, Ford in Oakland. At Oakland, thank you. And uh, so there's actually, this restaurant's been around for decades. And the, when I was on the Historic Landmarks Commission, we found an old, it's called the Green Book. And it was actually a guide for African-American motorists back in the in segregation in the South that essentially told people who might be visiting from elsewhere the places that were safe to go and patronize as an African-American traveler and the ones that would serve them and treat them with respect and that they, they could feel comfortable going and sitting down and, and having a meal. So as we looked back through this old green guide, the original chicken and ribs was the one business from that green book 
that is still in existence today. So it's really cool, and it, huh. it caused me to go out and try it. Real small, um, mostly kind of a takeout place. But they got a couple little tables outside. If the weather's nice, you can sit and eat. Food's really good, but it's it's interesting from that historical perspective because of its relevance to the to the era of segregation. That so was a good story. Really cool place, yeah. and definitely worth checking out. The other thing Justin brought up, well, we all I think brought up tonight. It probably took up the biggest chunk of our time. Was two different um, two different pieces that were very interconnected to each other from the Housing and Neighborhood Development Committee that are going to go back to those committees about one of them was locational policy. And I think that one we dug into a, a good bit. But Justin, what was your take on a lot of the housing discussion we had tonight? Um, you know, I, I thought it was I thought it was a good start. Um, I think that we definitely need a true housing plan. Um, I think we finally have come to terms with that we've focused too much on the number of affordable units and not really on the larger picture around, okay, how are we making sure that we are creating some public subsidies for housing in, in around areas that have higher access to amenities and healthcare and better schools and parks and greenways, um, and not just focusing on the specific number. Um, though setting those number goals are great, um, we know that we, we've got to look at this thing in, from a larger picture and a larger view. Uh, overall, I thought it was, it was just a tip of the iceberg. I'm looking forward to the hand committee to, to really kind of diving into some of the uh, housing plan. And then from a locational policy, you know, we, we really are coming to terms too as well that our policy is not necessarily in line with, uh, with our stated goals. And, and what I mean by that for the listeners is that, you know, our housing location policy pretty much directs us to try to disperse affordable housing, or as, as Councilwoman Mayfield says, I'm going to get this right, Diverse price point housing, um, some well would done. refer to that as mixed income housing, uh, disperse that in various parts of the city and make sure that we don't have any one development too close to another. Uh, however, uh, we also have, with that, we haven't necessarily focused on making sure that we're just increasing the quality of life and the, and the AMI level, average AMI levels in those areas, even if that does mean uh, putting some developments near each other. And so I think we've got a little work to do when it comes to that. Uh, but I think tonight's discussion kind of led us in that direction. And, and I just had, I mean, we, we spent a large chunk of last week and then Larkin and I on, on the podcast actually drilled into some of this. And I think every episode probably from this point forward, <laughs> at least every other, is probably going to have one little part of evolution. So today's evolution was one, we finally got told to us what the debt capacity looks like yes. right now, which is 90 to $100 million. Now, that is a bit misleading because the, that, the asterisk next to that is, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to significantly make that different. But So the, I, I think it goes back to an update from last week's episode, which was we have no idea what the dollar amount essentially is, and, and it, don't you need that first and foremost? So we're starting to get answers. That's still going to evolve. But I still have a big challenge with the data point of, you know, and I, Larkin, I know you're going to push back and, you, and you've been thinking about it. You know, the locational policy and the number of units, um, you know, you can't do both perfectly. I think that's where we're ultimately going to come out. So the question is going to be, which is more important? And, and I'm going to keep harping on this until we get data back that tells us otherwise of if the number is 34,000 and you say it's 32,000 when you come back, you know, to, to the example you used, if you if you get the locational policy perfect, 
all right, I can live with that. 2,000 less or 2,000 in the longer term, whatever. But if it's 34,000 and it goes down to 12,000 because we needed to put a significant portion of that in South Park and in Ballantyne, I'm just making you know up, up an example where the land costs are just going to be astronomical. That's a that's a challenge. I think in, in talking to a lot of the folks that that really just focus on housing policy and things like that every single day um, through their work. I think that it's it's ultimately, do you want to treat the, the symptom or do you want to treat the cause? Right. I, I think That's the locational right. policy is treating the cause and it's a more sustainable long-term solution. And, and that's tough because if you're not, you know, it's hard to not treat the symptom because treating the symptom. We describe it as a crisis, right, the treat, symptom. Treating the right symptom is, has more immediacy and it has a, a quick impact, but does it have that long-term positive ramification on, on people's lives? Less so. So I, I think that we've got to um, the consensus that that I'm coming to as I talk to people is that we've got to prioritize locational policy over quantity. But but what what if that number comes out high? Well, I th- I think that two things. One, maybe we need to look back at how is this locational policy written. Maybe maybe we don't have it dialed in as accurately or as as effectively as we could for today's current conditions. So maybe we can improve that locational policy. But I do think. Ultimately, I'm going to probably end up coming out on the side of uh, dispersion of this uh, of these units is probably more important than just trying to squeeze out every last unit, regardless regardless of location. And also, um, Braxton tonight brought up the point that, and, and we actually had, I think, to a person, all of us brought it up in our new member orientation in November that we've got to be more transparent and realistic about what these, if we're going to dial into these numbers. What are they really? And we That's can't right. just say new units or preserved units. We've got to say, how many new units are we losing? Mm-hmm. It's not our fault that we're losing them, but we've got to acknowledge that that's a reality of these numbers um, as we're trying to deal with this I, issue. I, I, I'm going to stand with my, my D in the QC here. All right, um, now we're getting to it, guys. Uh, just, just, you know, yeah, I do think there's, there's definitely more value um, long-term, and, and that may not be the feel-good story because we may not – decrease the deficit of units um, as quickly. But uh, we do have to be very careful about recreating high concentrations of poverty. We've done that before. I think that's a contribution to where we are now with the 50th out of 50th. Um, you guys are talking my language, though. I'm a healthcare provider, and we talk about how we treat symptoms um, versus, versus being preventative enough and, and treating the true problem so the symptoms never come back. Uh, I think that's the better approach every time. I think in the long run, it's always cheaper. Um, for the for the conservatives listening, it's always cheaper to to nip it in the bud um, at the very beginning, even though you may not get the the instant results that you want. All right. So before Dr. Harlow departs, we did want to get in some discussion about the interconnectivity of the work of a lot of these committees. So I'll I'll lead in and then let let you take over, Justin. Well, a lot of what we talked about tonight, people are starting, I don't think starting to realize, I think we all knew, but really starting to see concrete examples of where the work that's done, for instance, in the Economic Development Committee impacts what's done in the Housing and Neighborhood Development Committee. And the, and the most concrete example of that is Tarek uh, continues to reference the demand side of the housing issue, which is not necessarily the number of units we're putting online, but it's tackling people's giving people the ability to make more money so that housing then becomes affordable to them. So that's really more in the realm of economic development. But Tark uh, points out the, the, cross, um, the cross it has with the work of the Housing and Neighborhood Development Committee. So The, the point of that being that how, HAND is basically looking at, to your point, how do we make, do we make that, the, 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 the units more affordable? And then 
economic development was looking at how do we give jobs to the people to raise their, their pay. While that's two separate things, to me, if there's a 34,000 unit gap, You'd think there'd be some some direct need to connect those two a little more, just in that one case, so that it's not just some big macro picture of more jobs and more wages over here. It's how do we bring the 34,000 number down, not just by building more units? But well, the question for Justin I'm going to pose is how do how do you think process-wise we should tackle that? Should we be discussing everything in every committee? Yeah, Justin, let me answer that for yeah. you. But no, go ahead. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't think we should be discussing everything in every committee, but I, I do believe that you know the way it seems that our committee structure has been working, and we're learning more and more about this, all these new members, is that one committee just kind of takes something, uh, another committee takes something, and then right when they're trying to make the policy decision, does it come to everybody else? And then we say, oh, wait a minute, that affects my committee too. Um, and so we've got to have more consistent updates along the way so that there might be a unified policy at the end of the day uh, between you know two two committee outcomes. Uh, I do believe though that the best way to to kind of tackle this really is to look at actually how do we help get folks away from the need of needing the actual affordable unit to begin with. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, are, we've got to have a focus on, okay, let's just let's just chalk away at the number. Let's decrease the deficit, right, of 34,000 units. Um, we know our largest need is 30% AMI and below. And, and an immediate need, yes, we've got to figure out a way to, to generate more of those units. However, how do we get, we need policies that will help move people away from needing 30% AMI at all. Um, into the 50 and into the 60 and, and upwards and moving the 80% AMI folks out of the affordable housing or the, the first price point conversation to begin with. Uh, that's, I, I think, the, the best way to kind of attack that. And so, yes, it's multifaceted. Yes, it's interconnected. I didn't even talk about transportation as it relates to that and the investment mm -hmm. we have to make to uh, to support that the type of growth that Charlotte is, is having. But but long term, I think the committees definitely have to talk more hand in hand, um, pun intended there. Ah. Hand -to -hand. <laughs> you saw what I did there. <laughs> but uh, but then as we have these economic development and workforce conversations, uh, making sure that, you know, the, the policies don't cross with each other right at the last second, um, that, that yeah. we're tackling that on more on the front end of those policy discussions. Yeah, I mean, I think if we start talking about the things that indirectly impact housing, then oh, that's yeah. everything yeah, we we'll do. Have a list. I mean, yeah. yeah, every single thing we do, you can find a way that it indirect, indirectly impacts housing. So I think in a way, we do have to allow our committees to divide and conquer a little bit so we can be focused. But at the same time, um, it was brought up by a couple of folks tonight ways that we can be more engaged with what's going on in committees that maybe we don't sit on. So mm -hmm. whether that's making sure that the minutes get sent to every council member that's for right. every committee so that you can see that red flag that Justin just mentioned, which is, hey, this is kind of going to end up conflicting with something we're working on in our committee, or these two things impact each other and we should be aware of them going towards trying to reach some sort of a, a, a goal uh, or an outcome. So we knowing better what each other are doing, I think will help, but I don't think we can all try to do everything in every committee. So final question, uh, doctor. Um, it's taken me about two to three months to kind of really kind of, I'm not saying I get you yet, but to really kind of have a better appreciation. You're a quieter guy. And, and, but when you talk if only by comparison, yeah, by comparison <laughs> to what's going on around here, what, what's your, how would you describe kind of your style as maybe some of our folks, uh, 
who are listening out there, pay, tune in, maybe via live stream, different things. But what, what's going through your head and, and as you as it relates to how you're trying to govern and directly interact uh, with the, with your peers? Definitely. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm quieter in comparison. I don't know if my wife would agree that I'm quiet. <laughs> um, but but nonetheless, yeah, you know, we, we've got a lot of new energy um, and, and we channel that in very different ways yes. on, on this council. Um I'm definitely not a let's shoot from the hip type of guy like maybe some of our our, our colleagues. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, I will say this. I guess for me, you know, I, I'm interested in you know learning as much as I can about this city government thing, right? You, you don't learn to legislate overnight. Um, you don't learn to be a policymaker overnight. And so I, I I've had an opportunity now to meet with just about every single department head and get a sense of and, and every question I ask them is you know. Where have other councils failed you? And because um, I've always learned, you know, at least Smudgy Mitchell will tell us. He tells me all the time. He said, "Man, just lean on the staff. They they they've been here. They see council members come and go." Um, and so, I, meeting with these staff members, it's it's saying, "Hey, you know, where have past councils failed you? Where are the ideas that that and and the the way you want to help drive this city and let us as the policymakers do it for you and give the political cover? How can I help you do that?" Um, and then bounce the, the bigger ideas that I have around business growth, small business growth and housing and stuff, how that fits in, in that framework um, versus what we can and can't do. And, and then also so, ask them, where have you failed other councils? Well, that, well no, then that, no, and that, <laughs> yes, you're right. And so and getting both ends. But so for me, it, it's about having all the meetings, soaking it all in. And then when the, when the real policy ideas and discussions come up, boom, talk about it there. I think, you know, we've all got a little bit of the passion projects in us and, and that's good. Um, but as it relates to moving this city forward, you know, I ran on protecting senior citizens, anti-displacement around uh, housing in our gentrifying neighborhoods and, and creating more jobs uh, specifically for, for the West Side. And so that that's what I'm looking to do. Um, and so, I, you know, I, uh, we, we've got a long way to go, but uh, I'm excited about where we've come. Strong. Dr. Harlow can not only help fix this city with us, but but he can also help fix your teeth. So if you're looking for a good dentist, if you just moved to Charlotte. Oh, no, I get a plug. Wait, hold on. What was it? One, one, one neighbor and one tooth at a time? That was, there was no, something was that the on slogan? there. Um, on my Twitter or something like that? I don't remember. Really we'll make save, it save, Saving the world one community and tooth at a time. If Bam. you're looking for a dentist, Dr. Harlow is your guy. Come find him. And you can you can have discussions with him while he's working on your teeth if you're looking for some insight into the city. Um, <laughs> I love it. We're glad, we're glad you came on finally, Justin. Appreciate you uh, as a colleague. Appreciate you as a guest. Friend and now pod- friend of the podcast. Friend of the pod- hey, friend of the podcast. I appreciate it. So thanks we'll you guys to for having me. You, having you back on soon. And thanks to all of you guys for listening to epi- episode number six, I believe. All right. Is it six? We're six yeah. in already. Whew. So, and don't forget, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like our Facebook page, if you'd share our, our page, if you'd if you'd rate Rate and the program. Look, the if podcast. you're listening and you're not rating this program, we're going to find you with the data. We're trying to go viral. Five star. <laughs> you got to help us. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us on R&D in the QC. Later. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Mark Eggleston.